Du lyssnar på Framgångspodden i samarbete med Acast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Det här avsnittet presenteras i samarbete med Framgångsakademin, som är Sveriges största tjänst för personlig utveckling och karriär. Och de har nu lanserat Framgångsakademins app, där du kan kolla på alla kurser direkt i mobilen, vart du än befinner dig. Här har du Sveriges främsta experter samlade på en och samma plats i syfte att utveckla dig. I och med detta har vi tagit fram ett once in a lifetime erbjudande där du får gå utbildningar helt gratis första månaden följt av 80% rabatt som du sedan behåller hur länge du vill. Det är alltså ingen bindningstid eller uppsägningstid. Nu är det enbart 500 stycken som får det här erbjudandet så det är först till kvarn som gäller. Allt handlar om att inte stå stilla på samma ställe utan istället utvecklas. Och vill du vidare i livet så är detta det absolut billigaste och bästa sättet du kan göra det på. Det är ett enkelt sätt att levla upp både din karriär och dig själv. Så vad väntar du på? Gå in på kampanj.framgangsakademin.se och signa upp dig direkt. Alltså kampanj.framgangsakademin.se Welcome ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to maybe one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Framgangsbotten. With Alexander Perleros. Do you love your wife? Yes. Prove it. Like, what's the metric? Give me the number that helps me know, right? Because when you met her, you didn't love her. Now you love her, right? Tell me the day the love happened. It's an impossible question. But it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that it's much easier to prove over time, right? Leadership is the same thing. Welcome everybody to a very captivating interview with the most influential person in our generation, Simon Sinek. When Simon was on his international world tour, I had the opportunity to meet up with him in Sweden to discuss various inspirational topics. 
Simon Sinek was an ordinary man working in advertising and feeling unfulfilled with his life. Until he organically discovered the secret to achieving immense success. This key principle led him to over 100 million views and his techniques are being implemented by Google, Microsoft and the numerous global 500 companies worldwide. His visionary TED Talks and his remarkable best-selling books are making an immense impact on the world. His beliefs regarding leadership and his strategy of the infinite game will eventually change your perspective on your life. If you would like to see the full interview, you can watch it on my YouTube channel, Alexander Paleros. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now listen to the interview with Simon Sinek. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let me introduce you to Fram Gangspotten with Alexander Paleros. Welcome, none other than Simon Sinek to Fram Gangspotten. It's an honor to have you. Thanks for having me. One of the things that I'm very interested in is morning routines. What is your morning routine? Do you um, have something that puts you in a good mode? I mean, I. I I know this question sort of gets asked. My morning routine is not particularly uh, special or unusual. Um, I mean, I, I do wake up and make sure to have breakfast. I like breakfast in the morning. But uh, other than that, it's relatively normal. Okay, I want to start with some rapid-fire questions. Sure. Game of Thrones or Star Wars? That's unfair. <laughs> I was as soon as you said Game of Thrones, I was like, "Oh, easy!" And then you said Star Wars. That's just yeah. unfair. I would say Star Wars for nostalgia, but Game of Thrones is sort of my modern my modern nerd love. Yeah. Beer or wine? Wine. Scrabble or chess? Scrabble. Do you play chess? I know how to play chess, but I'm good at Scrabble. Yeah, you're very good. I were the third best. Uh, chess player in Sweden uh, for my age when I was 13. Amazing. Yeah. So if you have some time, we can play later. No, you'll destroy <laughs> me. I can't think more than one move ahead. So I'm not a very... The whole idea of chess is to think ahead. I can't do it, though. Okay, the next one. Captain America or Batman? Oh, that's a hard one. I'd say, hmm, Captain America. Biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people who have wireless for the you know bluetooth yeah. and yet they still hold their phone up and talk into their phone <laughs> drives me nuts all right <laughs> london or new york uh i mean new york's my love donald trump or obama i'm i'm okay with whoever's the leader of the country to be inspired inspired or to inspire uh that's a tricky one as well not mutually exclusive i have to be inspired to inspire and to inspire inspires me, so not mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. Favorite book? Um, you should only pick one. Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. You said that this uh, journey with uh, why yes. start with a deeply personal, painful moment. Yes. What was that? So I lost my passion for my own work, um, which was embarrassing because superficially my life was pretty good. I owned my own small business. We had good clients. We did good work. Um, but I didn't want to wake up and go to work anymore. Um, and so I kept that to myself. And so all of my energy went into pretending that I was happier, more successful and more in control than I felt, which was pretty 
draining, to be honest. Um, and it was only when a friend came to me and said, I'm worried about you, did I, uh, did I come clean and tell her how I really felt. And it lifted a, a weight off my shoulders and gave me the energy to find a solution. And the solution I found was this thing called the why. Yeah. And you mentioned in your book that uh, about uh, friend exercise. Oh, the friend exercise? Yeah. To find your why? Yeah. What oh, is yeah. That? So so a, a fun way to find your why, or at least to get some sense of it, is to go to a friend who you love and who loves you. A friend who you could call them at any time of the day or night, and they would absolutely be there to help you. Um, you don't do this with a spouse. Don't do this with a, a sibling. Those relationships are too close. But a best friend. And ask them the question, um, why are we friends? And they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. Because you're asking them to put into words um, a feeling. And the part of the brain that controls our feelings doesn't control language. So they're going to look at you and say, ah, I don't know. Uh, and then you play devil's advocate. You say, come on, what is it about me that is so special that I know that you'd be there for me no matter what? And they'll start describing you. You're funny. You're honest. I can count on you. And you have to play devil's advocate. You say, good, that's the definition of a friend. What is it about me that I know you'd be there for me no matter what? And again, this will go on and on and you play devil's advocate and eventually they will give up and eventually they will describe themselves. My friend said to me, I don't know. All I know is I can be in a room with you and I feel inspired. I don't even have to talk to you. And I got goosebumps. So eventually when your friends start describing something about themselves and you have an emotional response, whether you get goosebumps or you well up with tears, whatever it is, that's proof that the thing that they have said is the, the value you have in their lives. Um, so that's, that's what your why is. It's, it's core to your being. You'll have an emotional response. And I asked multiple friends and all my friends told me the exact same thing. That's how I knew I was on some, onto something. Yeah. It's a fun exercise. Do you have some other exercise you recommend to, to find your why? Well, there's multiple ways you can do it. I mean, I just gave you one fun way. Um, you know, we, we, that's one of the things we do as a company is we help, we help people find their why. But we try and do it as, we want to make it as accessible as possible. You know, so clearly it's not available to everybody to have a human being come to your home or your office to, to do it with you. And so we have the why discovery course on our, on our website. I published a book called find your why. Um, and then there's the friend exercise. We try and make it as available as possible to as many people as possible. Because the goal really is that everybody can find their why. Mm -hmm. So I don't want it to be something exclusive, you know, that, that really upsets me. So we've, yeah. So everything from free all the way up to to a, uh, an individual consultation and everything in between is available. Yeah. And I thought about that. Uh, how many whys can you, can you have? A human being can only have one. Only one. And can you change why? No. You are who you are. We are the products of our upbringing. You know, we are the sum total of the experiences we had when we were children. And we're, our personalities are fully formed by the, you know, by the time we're probably in our mid to late teens. Um, and that's what the why is. The why is who you are at your core, who you are at your natural best. Uh, the rest of our lives simply offer us opportunities to live in balance with our why. So no, you cannot change your why, just like you cannot change who you are. You can improve who you are. You can live to your, you can, you can uh, try to be your best self, but it's, it's you. So we only have one why, which I think is, uh, so, and when people define their why or define their company's why based on a, based on something they do, you're definitely not there. You know, like my why is to help my customers find blah, blah, blah. No, that's not your why. That's just something you do. Yeah. And what is your why? 
to inspire people to do the things that inspire them so together each of us can change our world for the better. It drives me. It's the foundation of everything I do. And your latest book uh, that will launch in October, The Infinite Game? In October 15th, yeah. October 15th. Has already made an uh, immense impact on the world thus far. Can you explain the difference between finite and infinite strategy? Sure. Um, so uh, according to um, a theologian named James Carsey, who wrote a book in the mid-80s, um, he, he uh, framed two kinds of games. If you have, a, have at least one competitor, if there's at least one other player, a game exists. And there are two types of games. There are finite games and there are infinite games. A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and agreed upon objective. Football, right? There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end, yeah. right? Um, an infinite game is defined as known and unknown players. Uh, new players can join at any point. Uh, the rules are changeable. And the objective is to perpetuate the game, to stay in the game as long as possible. Um, and so if you think about it, um, many of the games in which we are players are infinite games. There's no such thing as winning marriage. You know? right. There's no such thing as um, being number one in career. Like there's no winning career, right? Um, um, and there's definitely no such thing as winning global politics. And there's definitely no such thing as winning business. Um, but if you listen to the language of too many leaders... They don't know the game they're playing. They talk about being number one, being the best, and beating their competition. Based on what? Based on what metrics? Based on what agreed upon timeframes? And so the problem is, is that if you play in an infinite game with a finite mindset, there's a few very predictable and consistent outcomes. Decline in trust, decline in cooperation, decline in innovation. And so if we are players in an infinite game, and the problem is we're playing with a finite mindset, I set out to write about what it means to play with an infinite mindset, which means completely rearranging the way in which um, we understand how not only business works, but how we play the game of business and other things, all the infinite games. Because the thing is, we're, mul we're players in multiple infinite games at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, if, we, if you play by the, with the right mindset for the game you're in, you'll enjoy much more trust, much more cooperation, much more innovation. Uh, so that, that's what the infinite game is all about. You had a speak uh, against uh, was, was Microsoft and Apple? Oh, yeah. So I had a real-life experience that helped me uh, understand the difference between finite and infinite games. I spoke at, a, at an education summit for Microsoft, and I also spoke at an education summit for Apple. Uh, at the Microsoft summit, 70-80% of the executives spent the vast majority of their presentations talking about how to beat Apple. Whereas at the Apple Summit, 100% of the executives spent 100% of their time talking about how to help teachers teach and how to help students learn. What's the difference? So it was really funny because one clearly was playing with a finite mindset and one was clearly playing with an infinite mindset. At the end of my talk at Microsoft, they gave me a gift. They gave me the Zune when it was a thing. This was Microsoft's uh, answer to the iPod. And... Uh, It was fantastic. It was a beautiful piece of technology. It worked extremely well. Um, at the end of my Apple talk, I, uh, uh, I was sitting in a taxi with a senior Apple executive, and I couldn't help myself. I had to just stir the pot. And I turned to him and I said, um, you know, Microsoft gave me their new Zune, and it is so much better than your iPod Touch. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I have no doubt. And the conversation was over. Uh, And this is what it means to have an infinite mindset. It means 
you understand that sometimes your product is better and sometimes your competitor's product is better. And the goal is not to win or beat your competition. The goal is to outlast them. There's a head and behind, that's all, but there is no winning. Um, and that relaxed attitude um, proves that the only true competitor in the infinite game is yourself. How do we make our products better than they were last year? How do we make our service better than it was last year? How do we make our culture stronger this year than it was last year? Our leaders better this year than they were last year? Um, that's the only true competition. And do you have any advice for the, the companies that want to play the infinite game instead? Well, well it, takes, it takes multiple things. Um, you have to have a just cause. You have to know, um, in other words, a vision of the future, an idealized vision of the future that you you are you've committed your entire organization to help advance um, something so just that you would willingly sacrifice for it, uh, meaning you might turn down a better paying job or you take frequent business trips or you work late. And that doesn't mean you like those things, but it feels worth it. Uh, you need to have trusting teams, um, people who willingly admit mistakes around each other, ask for help without any fear of humiliation or retribution. You have to have trusting teams. You have to have a worthy rival. You have to have a, another player or players that you can compare yourself to, where their strengths reveal to you your weaknesses so you find out where you can improve. Um, benchmarks, you know? The, the goal is not to beat them. The goal is to use them to learn more about ourselves. Um, And what is Open Playbook? There's a existential flexibility, uh, is what it's called. Um, which is the willingness to make a profound shift in strategy in order to advance your, your cause. Um, there's the famous story of Steve Jobs in 1979 with some of his senior executives. They visit, visited Xerox Park, and Xerox showed them a technology they'd invented called the graphic user interface. Now, remember, Steve Jobs had a just cause. He wanted to empower individuals to stand up to, to, the, to Big Brother, to the status quo. And... Clearly, the computer was an amazing technology to help him do that. And this graphic user interface would allow way more people to use a computer just by clicking a mouse on the screen, as opposed to having to learn a whole computer language, which is how it was back then. Um, and so as they were leaving Xerox, he said to his people, we have to invest in this. And somebody in the group said, we can't. We've already, already invested millions of dollars and countless man hours in a different direction if we invest in this graphic user interface, we'll blow up our own business. To which Jobs said, better we should blow it up, blow it up than someone else. Mm -hmm. And that decision became the Macintosh, mm. which profoundly changed computing today. You know, the entire platform of Windows is designed to act like a Macintosh. So his willingness to make that profound strategic shift and walk away from money already spent and time already spent is a perfect example of, an, of existential flexibility. Yeah. And what about worthy rival? <laughs> Uh, so as I said before, worthy rival um, is uh, someone uh, or, or an organization or a person who whose very strengths reveal to you your weaknesses. You know, sometimes we have envy for them and sometimes they make us angry and sometimes we think we're trying to beat them. But the reality is, is we usually have an emotional response to them uh, because they're good at what they do and it makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel like we have work to do. So instead of directing that energy against them, Um, rather, we should express gratitude that they helped reveal to us our weaknesses so that we can work on them. I want to jump into uh, my favorite topic, and that is uh, success. And you also have uh, five uh, key factors for success, like um, go after the things you want, 
take accountability for your actions, take care of each other, learn to speak last, and be grateful for what you have. Uh, which one of them is uh, hardest to achieve? <laughs> I think they're all they're all difficult, um, and they all require practice, and it depends on the person. I think which one is most difficult. I think in this modern day and age, learning to speak last is is a hard one for many people. You know, we're full of our own opinions, um, and uh, we all want to present our opinions. But to learn to be the last to speak. Uh, is powerful. It comes from a story from uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, he was a son of a tribal chief, and um, and somebody, a, a journalist, asked him, "How did you become such a great leader?" And he said, "When I was a boy, I remember going to tribal meetings with my father, and I remember two things: one, they always sat in a circle, and two, my father was always the last to speak." And if you think about how we go into meetings, you know, especially if you're the senior person, you say, "Okay, here's the problem. Here's what I think we should do, but I want to know what you right. think." Well, it's too late now. You know, you just you just uh, muddied the waters. So, to 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 practice being the last to speak and not give any clues as to what you're thinking when people are, you know, no expression of agreement or disagreement, but rather curiosity to show up to the conversation with curios- curiosity to ask questions, not to prove that someone's right or wrong because they agree or disagree with you, but but rather because you're truly trying to understand how they came to their opinions. Um, the best thing is everybody feels included, everybody feels heard, and at the end of the day, the senior person in the room gets more information. Even if they go with their original decision, um, it's a much more inclusive way of, of working, and at the end of the day, they get, they get the value of um, different perspectives, which only makes for better decisions. And how good are you to uh, learn, learn to speak last? Do you practice it every day? I mean... I, I'm a better listener today than I used to be, and I still have a lot of work to do. Um, I, you know, this is the thing about the infinite game. None of us is perfect or the best at anything. The goal is only to be better. You know, I have good days and I have bad days, but the goal is to strive to be better every day. I'm definitely a better listener listener now than I used to be, for sure. And what about uh, go after the thing, things you want? Well, the 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 opportunity. Uh, it's a very entrepreneurial mindset, right? Um, it comes from a. It's a, a funny lesson I learned um, when I was running. I went for a, a run in Central Park with a friend, and at the end of the run, they had free bagels. Um, they just had boxes of bagels laid out on tables, you know, with volunteers on one side and a long line of runners on the other side. So I said to my friend, "Let's get a free bagel," and he said, "Nah, I don't want to stand in the queue." I said, but yeah, but there's a free bagel. And he said, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to wait. And I couldn't understand. And I realized that there's, there's different ways of viewing the world. I could only see the, the, the thing that I wanted and he could only see the thing that was preventing him from getting the thing that he wanted. And you see that a lot in, uh, in the world, in other things. Um, you know, a, a, a good entrepreneur, a good problem solver only sees the thing that they're after um, and makes every effort to try and get get there, where I think people who don't uh, take the entrepreneurial leap, and by the way, I don't believe that entrepreneurs are people who start small businesses. There's a difference between being an entrepreneur and being a small business owner. Uh, Small business owners own small businesses. Entrepreneurs solve problems. And there are entrepreneurs who own small businesses, but there are also entrepreneurs inside large companies. They're problem solvers. They think differently. Richard Branson does not own a small business, but he's absolutely an entrepreneur. So let us not confuse uh, the entrepreneurial mindset 
with small business owners. They don't necessarily go together. But the entrepreneur, whether they're in a big company or a small company, they see the thing that they're after and they try and get there. Whereas the more uh, uh, traditional mindset is to see the things that are preventing you from getting it and then not wanting to take the leap. Because one comes with risk and one doesn't. Yeah. And you talk about uh, entrepreneurship. How do you define innovation? To me, innovation is the application of technology or engineering to solve a problem. There has to be a problem to solve before you have innovation. Um, you know, that just putting a flat screen on something uh, or putting a battery in something doesn't make it innovative. There's so many nonsense innovations out oh, there. Oh, it's such, there's so much junk, you know? I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so uh, many apps. Th but, I mean, just look, just get in a car. Like cars now have flat screens to control your air conditioning, to control your radio. What was wrong? What what problem were they solving? Because you know the knob on the on the volume on my car on the radio, and the switches and dials that controlled my my heating and air conditioning, they worked just fine. They never <laughs> ever ever broke, right? So I want to know what problem they were solving. Now, if it's an aesthetic issue. If that's what they're solving for, fine. But if you think about it, in so many cars, it actually makes things worse. You know, the phone rings and you all of a sudden you lose control of the radio and you have to click back three screens and yeah. you can't, you know, you can't get to the air condition. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I like your toaster example. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go to any uh, homeware shop um, and you go to the toaster aisle, um, not all toasters are created equal, it turns out. If you go to all the toasters and push up on the button, only some of them go up. That to me is an innovation that you can push your toast up from the toaster and you don't need a knife to get the toast out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's innovation. There's no batteries. There's no flat screens. There's no touch screens, but you can push up on the toast. That's innovation. It solves a problem. I can't get my toast out of the toaster. That solves a problem. So I think we're a little loose with the word innovation. And I think too many companies think that by making something have bright lights and neon on it or, you know. Uh, it's innovative. It's not. It's just prettier. Or... Do you have any questions that uh, companies should ask themselves about innovation? Well, like I said, uh, I think the biggest question is what problem are we solving for? What problem are we solving? And if the answer is none, then don't do it. Uh, you know, the amount of times we make innovative things, it's just one more thing to break. When you add a motor to something or you add a flat, it's just one more thing to break. One touchscreen. Yeah. So uh, what problem are we solving, sir? Again, if it's, if it's inside a home, if it's aesthetic, fine, great. Um, but it, it, has to, it has to advance something. It has to move something. It has to solve a problem. Otherwise, it literally is just a waste of money. And um, take care of each other. Yeah. What about that? Well, we're... we're We're social animals, you know, and by ourselves, we're not that we're not that good. Human beings can't lift heavy weights by themselves and we can't solve complex problems by ourselves. But together we are remarkable. It's amazing what happens when a group of people with common cause come together with common beliefs and common values, the way they work together, the problems they solve. Everything great that ever happened in this world happened with a group of people, not one. Maybe one person got the credit, but rarely, if ever, is it someone working alone. Uh, and I think we forget that. I think that in this day and age, um, especially with a lot of incentive structures and in companies that are that only reward individual achievement rather than group achievement, very often they accidentally create a culture in which we're actually working against each other, or we hoard information because we think that that makes us more valuable, um, and we try and be the smartest person in the room. Um, 
the best leaders I've ever met, uh, ask a ton of questions. They open, they freely admit they, they have a lot to learn. They freely admit that people on their team who are more junior than them know more than they do. Because people on the front lines tend to know more than the people in the back office. You, know, you want to know about customer service, go talk to the person who's in the, on the, on the, who works in the shop, who works on the front line. Don't ask a senior executive who's in charge of customer service. They don't know. They haven't done it for 20 years. So um, the great executives, the great, the great leaders ask a ton of questions. They visit the front lines. They ask people. They learn. Um, and they know that they don't know everything. I admire that. I also love when you talk about uh, about leadership and people over numbers. Can you discuss this further? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we we live in a world in which, unfortunately, too many companies, too many leaders would willingly sacrifice their people to protect the numbers. You know, you have annual annualized uh, uh, layoffs or redundancies um, just to meet the arbitrary projections. Um, That doesn't mean we're going to lose money. It just means we'll be less profitable. And so we use the livelihood. We use someone's livelihood. We use their ability to provide for their families so that we can meet some sh arbitrary short-term goal, which I find abhorrent. Um, the best companies in the world, the ones that tend to outperform their competition over, over the course of time, uh, prioritize the wants and needs of the individuals over the wants and needs of some arbitrary projection. That doesn't mean they don't have goals. Of course they have goals, but they're not willing to sacrifice their people uh, simply to meet an arbitrary goal. Uh, you don't use people to balance books. Uh, that's what that means. Um, and too many organizations today use people as if they're just an, another expense to be cut. They're just, they're, they're just a, another cost. Uh, they forget that they're people. And the, uh, It's a very finite mindset to think that way. And those companies usually end up a lot weaker because every time they use people, they weaken the culture every time. Trust declines, cooperation declines. Mm. Um, there's no way that the people would sacrifice for the company, knowing full well that the company wouldn't sacrifice for them. Mm. The leaders set the tone. And if we say to the company, if we say to the people, um, we care about our numbers more than we care about your life, well, guess what? They're going to do the same. They're going to protect themselves more than they're going to protect you. So... Leaders set the tone every time. Yeah. And you said is that you never met a CEO that doesn't think the people are important. The question is in what order. Right. It's exactly right. You know, when I talk about putting people first, as you said, I've never met a, a CEO who doesn't think their people are important. You know, they, you know, they always put, there's my list of priorities, growth, you know, customer, my people. There it is. See, I think they're important. The problem is they're number three on the list, which means there are at least two things that would be prioritized before the people. Uh, our people have to come first. So, uh, can you give some example on there uh, on big companies that put the people in front? Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of good examples. Um, there's a company called the Container Store, uh, which sells you know boxes and organizing equipment. Um, during the recession, they had zero layoffs, even though they lost 13 percent of their revenue. Um, Costco is another company. Uh, Virgin is very good. Um, There's plenty of good examples, and these tend to be the companies we like the most. These tend to be the companies that we feel very strongly towards. We, we have loyalty towards them. We love them even. Um, uh, the problem is we need more of them. We need more companies like that. Those, those companies are the exceptions. They need to be the rule. 
You also discuss intensity versus consistency in companies, relationships, workouts. What are your thoughts on this? So whenever there are decisions to be made, uh, there's dynamics, right? There's consistency and there's intensity. Um, uh, It's like brushing your teeth, you know? You go to the dentist twice a year. If that's all you do, those are acts of intensity, easily scheduled, easily measured, predictable results. If that's all you do, your teeth will fall out. So we have to brush our teeth consistently. Now, what does brushing your teeth do for two minutes? Nothing. Nothing. It does nothing unless you do it twice a day, every single day. Can you leave a day out if you're too tired and you don't feel like brushing your teeth? Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) How many days can I skip? I don't know. Just don't do it too much. That's the thing. This is what consistency is. Consistency is about steady build. And consistency is often more important than intensity. Um, you, know, you can't go to the gym and get in shape by working out for nine hours. But if you work out every single day for 20 minutes, you absolutely will get into shape. The problem is in businesses, we tend to rely on consistency. To, uh, we tend to rely on intensity to solve problems. We have a leadership problem. We have a two-day offsite. And we have a couple of speakers. And now everybody's a leader. No. Leadership is a practice that we have to do every single day. It's like any kind of relationship. You know, we fall in love with someone and they fall in love with us, not because of the acts of intensity, not because we remember their birthday or buy them flowers on Valentine's Day, but because um, we do little things every day. We say good morning before we check our telephone. You know, we, we, when they say, can I tell you something? We turn the television off and we look them in the eye and say, what's on your mind? You know, it's these little things that by themselves, they do nothing. But over the course of time, if we do them consistency, they produce intense feelings of love and trust. Um, it's the same in any kind of relationship, whether it's personal or professional. It's the acts of consistency that a leader must do on a daily basis, walking through the hall, saying hello, saying how are you and actually caring about the answer, um, making eye contact, you know, uh, putting your phone away when you're in a meeting. Um, do these things every day and they have a remarkable, remarkable and powerful impact. Uh, we cannot solve human problems with acts of intensity. It takes acts of consistency, um, acting consistently, I should say. Yeah. And how would you describe the millennial generation? They're uh, very nice people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think what you're referring to is I gave a I gave a an answer to the question about what other people call the millennial problem. Right. That apparently a young generation, an entire generation, is unleadable, which of course is nonsense. Um, um, so I offered a perspective, which is based on empathy, which is trying to understand uh, an entire generation. And you have to remember. People get very upset at me when I make generalizations about a generation. They say, you can't make generalizations <laughs> about an entire generation. Of course you can. Because each generation comes of age when there are certain world events that happen which affect who we become. They affect our, our viewpoint and our perspective. You know, our grandparents who lived through this during the Second World War... Many of them are miserly and frugal because they live through rations. Well, it's nothing because of their personality. There's nothing wrong with them. It's because they grew up during the war. That's why. So, of course, you can make generalizations about an entire generation. And the millennial generation, which is a group of people born approximately 1984 through 2004, approximately, uh, um, came of age, they're the first generation to come of age where cell phones and social media were ubiquitous. They were, they were already built into their lives for the Indeed. most part um, when they came of age, I mean, when they were teenagers, right? They came of age during the millennial, the millennium, hence the, hence the title. Um, and so there's some common factors that exist. Um, they tend to have an over-reliance on social media and uh, cell phones. 
Um, and the problem is both social media and cell phones are addictive. Um, they release a chemical in our body called dopamine. Every time the phone goes buzz or beep, every time we get a notification, <gasps> it feels good. It's the same chemical that's released when we drink alcohol, when we smoke, and when we gamble. In other words, in small doses, feels good, lots of fun. Unbalanced, very, very, very addictive and very dangerous and hurts our relationships. Social media and cell phones can do that. Um, uh, these things are important to consider. Um, I also think that this young generation of millennials is, has some huge advantages over older, older generations. It's a very accepting generation. Um, they don't care what your gender identity is. They don't care what your sexuality is. They just, it's just a big nothing. They just, nobody cares, right? I love that. Older generations are the ones who are all upset about things. Um, but young, this young generation is very open-minded, very open to people who don't look like them and don't sound like them, much more inclusive as a generation. Um, again, a generation that grew up in a, in a world after September 11th. So there's a um, sort of, it's sort of a, a really remarkable and amazing thing. I think we can learn a lot. I think they're very good at personal branding. Um, they understand the importance of authenticity, sometimes struggle with it. Um, some other challenges they have, uh, you know, this pursuit to be vulnerable, sometimes is mistaken. Brene Brown talks about this, this pursuit to be vulnerable. They sometimes just go on YouTube and just put videos of them talking about themselves and crying. And as Brene Brown talks about, you know, revealing is not the same as vulnerable. You know, re revealing publicly is not the same as being vulnerable. Um, but I think this generation has an opportunity as well. I think there's a lot of loneliness. There seems to be definitely in the United States increased rates of anxiety, depression, and even suicide amongst this young generation. And I think it's largely in part of an over-reliance on social media and cell phones for feelings of uh, worth, self-worth. How many followers do I have? How many likes did I get? Yeah, yeah. Check, check, check. Keep checking, keep checking, keep and checking, keep checking. Dopamine the whole time. And dopamine the whole time, but also feelings of inadequacy if I don't get the kinds of followers, you know, I, I keep comparing myself yeah. to other people. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said the, the death of joy, comparison is the death of joy. Uh, you know, and it's a very finite mindset going back to the, the original concept. An infinite mindset is being grateful for the people who like me. You know, in a finite mindset is comparing how many people like me versus how many people like somebody else. It's not a competition. And what is your advice for them? Well, turn off notifications for one, completely. <laughs> yeah. You can leave them on for your texts and you can leave them on for your calls, but turn notifications off every app, Instagram, Facebook. The computer, everything. Just turn off, turn off all the notifications. Um, you'll check the email when you check the email. You don't need bing, 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 bing every mm. time an email comes in. So stressed out. Not only does it stress out, it's also distracting. It takes a human brain about 20 minutes to get into deep thought, to find flow. And every time there's an interruption, you have to restart. So imagine if you were sitting on your computer trying to work something, and every time I rang a bell, you have to go to the fridge to look, right? And I can ring the bell whenever I want. At some point, you're never going to get any work done. That's your cell phone. So when your cell phone has the notifications turned on sitting next to your computer, you'll never get into deep thought. You'll never get into flow. Um, it's very, very interruptive. Um, put the phone in airplane mode, in a drawer, out of sight. There's plenty of data that shows that when we keep the phone in a different room, we're actually more productive. So whenever I'm going to a meeting, whenever I have work to do, I put my phone in airplane mode because then I know nothing's coming in. Um, and I'll check it later. I'll check it when I have lunch. You know, and you find yourself being able to concentrate a lot better. There should never, ever, ever be a cell phone uh, out when you're at a meal with somebody or when you're in a meeting uh, because it's uh, grossly unfair to somebody that 
that there's this sends the subconscious message that I just don't think you're that important. It's amazing how powerful it is when somebody simply puts their phone away when they're at dinner with us or at lunch with us, friends, colleagues, whatever. And definitely no cell phones in conference rooms. There should never be a cell phone in a meeting. Again, there's biology. This is not my opinion. There's good biology behind this. And the people who do it um, demonstrate. There's a company that uh, we know who banned cell phones in all their conference rooms. And uh, they saw meetings got shorter. And they said the level of trust generally increased in the company amongst employees and with their clients. Simply from banning cell phones in in, in meetings, which I think is brilliant. And you and your friends does never have the cell phone with you on dinner? We we yeah. I mean, there's always exceptions, of course. I mean, it's about balance, and the problem is we're unbalanced. You know, if you're looking up a movie that you want to go to after dinner, sure, pull your phone out. But it's the point of socializing with other people when you're with somebody else. Um, so yeah, no. When we go out for dinner, we leave our 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 phones in our pockets, absolutely, with the ringers turned off. Yeah, absolutely, we do. Um, and if I'm eating locally. Sometimes I leave my phone at home or we leave our phones at home and we just go out locally. Like, what do we need our phone for? We're walking to dinner. We don't need it for anything. We're not calling anybody. We're not calling a, an Uber, you know. Maybe we won't be able to take a picture of our food, but that's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we bring one phone just for, right, right. Just, just, just for food pictures. <laughs> a good phone with a nice camera. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have uh, any other advice for uh, not you, only the millennial generation, for, for like... Yeah, take care of each other. Life is hard. Work is hard. And uh, we need each other, you know? Uh, and we don't build trust by offering help. We build trust by asking for it. And I don't think we ask for help enough. And when we do, it's not necessarily real, you know, to really express fear and vulnerability and that we don't know something. We don't know how to do something. I think we need to do a better job of taking care of each other and helping each other succeed. What would you like to accomplish the next coming years? I don't, it's a, um, I don't think that way. Um, you know, I have a vision of a world that I want to live in, a just cause. I imagine a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning inspired, they feel safe at work, and they return home fulfilled at the end of the day. And I've devoted my entire professional life to helping advance that world. And I don't care what I have to do to get there. I'll write, I'll speak, I'll teach, I'll advise, and I'll do a ton of other things that I haven't thought about yet. And so for me, it's about, I measure, I measure things in momentum. And so the question is, what do I hope to accomplish in the next few years is more momentum, more solid momentum, faster momentum, where I don't have to necessarily be out there the whole time, but the movement can progress without me, that other people will join me. So I'll look for the means to invite people to join me in this cause, offer guidance as much as I can, how we can live this infinite mindset. Um, but it's all with, a, with an eye towards the vision. So um, I tend to be very, very devoted to the cause and less concerned about the path that I'll take to get there. I'll figure it out. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for Mrs. having me. Simon Sinek. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for helping me spread the message. Fram Gangspotten with Alexander Perleros. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.